to this edition of TBU Bat Books for Beginners, episode 155. My name is Jerry. And I'm Chris. And we are your hosts. On Bat Books for Beginners, we will examine story arcs with Batman and related characters. We'll give you the historical background of the book, break down the plot and the art, and tell you our opinions so you can decide for yourself if they're worth a read. Today's Bat Book is Robin Unmasked, written by Bill Willingham, art by Rick Mays, Aaron Soud, and Guy Major. Now, this will cover the issues of Robin, numbers 121 through 125. So, tell us a little bit about this book, Chris. Sure. Thank you very much, Jerry. Robin, issue numbers 121 through 125, were collected in a trade paperback, as you said, called Robin Unmasked. The individual issues were cover dated from February 2004 to June 2004. The original cover price for each issue was $2.25. Now, other Batman-related story arcs that were released on or around this time were previously covered uh, The Broken City in the Batman title and Batman City of Light. So, Jerry and me are a few podcasts in as a team, but most of the material we've covered so far was originally released at the same time. So I think if you bear with us, uh, Jerry and I will get to the year 2005 and beyond uh, later at some point. Uh, let's see. Issue number 121 of Robin marked a new creative team on the title. Bill Willingham was the writer. Now, I first heard of uh, Willingham when he wrote and drew the independent title The Elementos for Comic the Elementals for Comico back in the 1980s. Uh, however, I think it's pretty fair to say that he may be better known for his writing on the DC Vertigo title Fables. Uh, that had a healthy run of 150 issues that just ended, oh, I think a couple years back. Mm-hmm. And this title won 14, yes, you heard me correctly, 14 Eisner Awards. Wow. Yeah. In a recent issue of Previews that I got at my local comic store, I saw that Willingham's next project will be for Dynamite Comics, mm-hmm. and it's entitled The Greatest Adventure. And that's going to feature Tarzan and other characters from the Edgar Rice Burroughs universe on an epic voyage, incurring what appears to be a modern incarnation of Jason. Hmm. Uh, the first issue is going to be out in a couple months, and I have to say it did look pretty interesting. Sounds good. Yeah. The covers for these individuals, I thought, were very striking and well-composed. They were drawn by Jason Pearson. Uh, Rick Mays uh, did some of the artwork. He worked for DC, Marvel, and Image Comics. However, I wasn't able to find much recent credits for him, and the same goes for Aaron Soud, who inked. But it appears Aaron Soud has a website where he's selling some of the artwork of some of these pages of the story that we're going to cover. And Francisco Rodriguez de la Fuente did some pencils on the latter issues of the story arc. Unfortunately, I wasn't able to find any recent work done by him or any past work for that matter, much less find anything about his background. Let's see. Now, online reviews have been all over the board for this story, from one star to five, and the average score for the Amazon trade paperback on the Amazon website currently sits at three out of five. So let's see for ourselves, shall we, as I turn it over to Jerry for the story synopsis. Yeah, so just a note before we uh, get into the plot of this story, you know, we're covering this book for how it affects Batman continuity. It's important uh, for what is going to be happening in the next couple of uh, issues the next couple of months uh, of the Batman story arcs. So as we're going through this, the important thing about the story isn't so much the individual crime, the individual bad guy that's in the story, because if you look at it that way, it's going to be kind of unsatisfying. But 
how it impacts the Batman universe is the important thing here. So we're putting pieces in place uh, for an upcoming big story, which uh, we know what's coming. And uh, Robin Unmasked is an important part of that. So let me get into to what happens here. Robin, uh, the Tim Drake type, is fighting three guys who are part of a gang who just robbed a Star Labs armored car. So they're they're trying to take off with some supernatural items that Star Labs is uh, transporting. I tell you, you know, how many things do supernatural uh, items just go through on a daily basis? You know, I don't read about that in the paper. Anyway, I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. And, and Star Labs <laughs> is always involved somehow, right? Isn't that so? Okay. Yeah, I think I'm going to buy some stock in them. Yes. <laughs> um so Tim, Tim defeats the guys, and between he and Batman, they've taken uh, eight out of the nine crooks and put them into custody. But there's one remaining thief, and he's disappeared with the most dangerous item of the whole bunch. So Bruce sends Tim home early because the next day is his first day at school. So we get a little bit of home life for Tim. Tim arrives at school the next day, and he makes a friend, Bernard uh, Dowd, who offers to show Tim the ropes. He kind of, they hit it off and he shows them around, shows them the uh, ins and outs of his new school. So at the end of the day, Tim is running off to his after school job, right? Quote, In quotation marks, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> when he runs headlong into a pretty student, Darla Akista, and he knocks him, da- knocks them both down and spills her books and, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, now, uh, Tim feels really guilty. He, she's very pretty, and he feels guilty about being attracted to her because he's already in a relationship with Stephanie Brown, who you may know as Spoiler. Yeah, so um, if the uh, Spoiler and uh, Robin Shippers out there are kind of already kind of uh, cringing as they see this, perhaps. Okay. Yeah, yeah a little spoiler alert here. <laughs> so uh, next we see Johnny Warren who is an enforcer for the mob boss, Mr. Henry Akista. So you may have heard the name Akista twice now, Darla and Henry, her father. And uh, Johnny Warren is trying to find Ollie, the deuce. That's his nickname. So Ollie is the robber who got away with the Star Labs loot. Now, Johnny shows up at Ollie's girlfriend's house and tries to get info on where Ollie is and when he's coming home from, uh, from uh, wherever he is because he's got this, uh, this stolen loot. Eventually, Ollie comes home and uh, Johnny kind of wants to know where he stashed the loot from the heist. And, and just to paint a picture for the listeners out there, Ollie bears no resemblance to Oliver Queen because when you hear Ollie and you think of the DC character, you might think, oh, there we, we already have an Ollie in the DCU. No, no, no. This guy looks nothing like Oliver Queen or Ollie Queen. So just uh, totally erase different. that from your mind. Yeah. yeah. Not Kukla Fran and Ollie. Not Stanley and Ollie. None of that. He's his own. Well guy. done. Thank you. Well done. <laughs> nice callbacks. Wow. Yeah, I know. That's a show of my age here. So uh, Tim is in the back cave. And he figures that uh, the escaped robber is Ollie the Deuce. So he's he's kind of put two and two together. He's a great detective. And he figures that he might be holing up at his girlfriend's house. So he tries to check in with Batman and say, hey, I'm going to run over to, to this house to see, what, see if I can find out what's going on. But he can't reach Batman and decides to go by himself anyway. Now, Tim doesn't have a ride. And so he has to take the bus. 
<laughs> which is kind of funny for a superhero. But, yeah, and I got to remember the continuity here because I always thought, you know, doesn't he tool around in the red rubber? And I think it must have got totaled earlier at some point, and I, I I totally had forgotten about that. So, so he's on yeah. the bus. He's got his his metro card, and uh, it takes him a long time. But finally, he gets to the apartment, and he finds Ollie's dead. He finds his girlfriend, Ollie's girlfriend, tied up and takes off the tape over her mouth. But while he's doing that, while he's distracted by the dead body, Johnny sneaks up behind him and hits him with the butt of a shotgun. He kind of pulls him up by the hair and says he's going to kill him. But, you know, in close quarters, Tim's pretty, uh, pretty dangerous fighter and is able to disarm him. Tim tries to give Johnny a chance to surrender, but finds that in the struggle, he's allowed Johnny to get in between, you know, access to the gun. So um, Tim uses a tangler grenade, which kind of puts some sticky stuff all over the gun, and it disables the weapon, but Johnny's able to pull off a shot, and it, and it kind of blows off his hand. So that's a problem for Johnny. So Johnny pulls a revolver in his other hand, and Trim, uh, Tim tries to talk him out of using it. You know, don't shoot, blah, blah, blah. And Johnny shoots Ollie's girlfriend in the stomach. So Tim has to choose between saving her and chasing Johnny. So, of course, Tim stays and saves her life. But, you know, he's running down all the tactical errors he's made, and he discusses them with Batman. So Johnny is on the run, and he goes to his mother's house to hide out. Now, at this time, he has found the supernatural artifact. So in this fight with Johnny, Tim has received a black eye. And he gets home and he tells his parents that he got it trying out for the football team. And which is kind of, you know, you never really think, they never really show these kinds of things, how how these kids could possibly be uh, <laughs> passing this off with their parents. But they, you know, it's part of the story. So one night he spends some time on a, on a rooftop and he explains, you know, what happened with Spoiler. Now, Johnny... Gets his arm without his hand. His hand is gone now, and he, his mom patches him up. And he opens the case with the stolen artifact from Star Labs. And it's a disc with a, a face on the disc. And at the end is a long pole. So the face on the disc starts talking to Johnny, but only Johnny can hear it. So he picks up the pole part of it, and the artifact kind of takes control over his arms. And he pushes it into his chest, the pole into his chest, and pushes it all the way in. And it leaves kind of the disc with the face on his chest. So he collapses on the floor, but by and by is revived with the disc face talking to him. And it tells him that he is undergoing some changes. And he should go in and see his mother so she can, quote unquote, make us some dinner. Which is not things are not looking forward, not looking very good for uh, Johnny's mom at this point. Yes, the story is taking a dark turn at yeah, this point. Very dark. Yes. So in the Batcave, uh, Bruce presents Tim with his own motorcycle so he can get around Gotham without taking the bus. And Tim, Tim is really thrilled with his new wheels. And there's a great uh, there's a great page with Tim kind of racing through Gotham on his new bike. Now, some cops are on a stakeout outside of Henry Akista's hideout. So Johnny descends uh, on these cops, kind of flying through the air. And he's surrounded by fire and rays shoot out of him that suck the life and kind of desiccate the cops. So Johnny goes into the club and kind of pulls the same thing on some of Akista's men. So 
uh, he's using up a lot of energy. Now, he leaves Akista alive and some of his top guys alive. Uh, the disc, it turns out, is sucking the energy from the dead men to feed itself and make him, itself and Johnny stronger. Now, Johnny, of course, is missing his hand, and it would be normally helping heal him, but he's kind of showing off, you know, with all his new new magical powers, and he's using up all the excess energy that could otherwise be healing him. Now, Tim eventually, great detective that he is, uh, tracks down and finds Johnny's mother's house, but finds her, she has had the life sucked out of her, and it looks as though she's been dead for years. Now, spoiler happens to be over by uh, Akista's hideout and finds the same thing has happened to the cops. So she calls Robin and she says, hey, we got this problem over here. There's a lot of dead cops. Come over here and see what's going on. Now, inside the club, Johnny's taking control of Henry and his gang. And he, he realizes that Robin has arrived. And he goes out and Robin and Spoiler kind of fight him. And Spoiler is hurt really badly, but... Tim hits Johnny so hard that Johnny's head seems to be taken off his neck and he collapses, apparently dead. Total decapitation. Just did not see that coming. Yes. It is pretty nasty. So uh, later, um, Robin explains it all to Bruce, and Bruce says that it's not really clear what happened, but Tim thinks he's a murderer. Now, Bruce and Alfred decide to keep Tim busy so he doesn't dwell on the fact that he's killed Johnny, but it doesn't really work. Tim kind of is fretting about this. Now, in the morgue, there's a body missing. Who could it be? Do you know, Chris? Just a wild guess. Gee, Jerry, you know, I, at the rate we're going, I I, <laughs> I, I I hate to spoil it for the listener out there, you know, if, they, if they're playing along at home. So uh, I'll just, uh, I, I'll, I'll keep, I'll play my card close to the best at this point. <clears throat> yeah, well, funny enough, several weeks later in Istanbul, no. we, we see... Is it Johnny Warren? It's Johnny Warren. And oh, my God. Uh, unbelievable. Sorry, sorry listeners. I, 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 I could not contain myself. Okay. Now, he's renamed himself to Johnny Warlock. Very exciting. So Johnny has rejuvenated himself. So he's you know trying to get stronger and stronger because he wants to go back and take revenge on Robin. So, And he's also taking out uh, contracts on Robin's life. So uh, some months later... Tim, Stray, Tim Drake's parents are at the school's parent-teacher night. And Tim's dad, uh, Jack, seeks out the football coach to say, hey, thanks for letting Tim try out for the team. And the coach says he doesn't know what Jack's talking about. He doesn't know Tim. Tim never tried out for any team. And so Jack is very suspicious as to why Tim came home that night with a black eye and lied to him. Now, Jerry, I don't know about you, but, you know, when, when you were a kid, didn't you have uh, better alibis lined up? When, I, uh, definitely. Uh, yeah, you know, something that could not possibly be questioned on by your parents, you'd, you'd have that ready. And Oh, I'm sorry. That's Absolutely. Just a, although, a you know, those parent-teacher nights, you know, uh, they they come home and who knows what they're going to find out, right? And now, good, this, good point. This is uh, a little, little worse than usual, however. But uh, Indeed. Now, Tim thinks he's killed Johnny, and he hasn't been able to concentrate on his usual robining. So he hasn't been paying attention to his training, and his heart just isn't in it. And Bruce calls him out on it, and Tim becomes very defensive, very sullen. Now, Batman says that Tim is using this death as a crutch and wonders if he's up to being robbed. 
Now, Tim is really upset that Bruce has lost trust in him. And Bruce says that he can use the Johnny Warren excuse one more time, and that's as a reason to quit. Tim goes to see Stephanie, who's got a broken leg from her fight with Johnny, and asks her how she would feel if he wasn't Robin anymore. Stephanie tells him to snap out of it. You know, yes, he killed someone, but he's also saved countless lives, and he should get back to doing his job, doing what he's good at. Now, at the Drake house, Jack is searching Tim's room for signs of drugs or some kind of trouble that he's in. Uh, he finds a secret latch at the back of Tim's closet and finds all his Robin gear. He realizes what's happened. So Jack goes uh, to Stately Wayne Manor and confronts Bruce about Tim being Robin. And he pulls a gun on Bruce. But, you know, Jack doesn't have any skills and Bruce is, spoiler alert, back, Batman. So he doesn't get too far with that. So Bat, uh, Bruce is able to easily disarm him. Tim shows up on a snazzy new motorcycle, and Bruce says that his father's there. This is a gigantic big deal. So Jack tells Tim to take off that Robin uniform. I'm taking you home. Tim does not want to leave and points out, and he reminds his father, that his grandfather joined the Army and went off to World War II when he was only 15. And the family is proud of his service, proud of his medals, proud of his accomplishments. Why shouldn't they be proud of what he's doing now? Jack doesn't want to hear it and blames Bruce. What are you doing taking these kids out and putting them in danger? He does have a point. Now, Nightwing has been called to the Batcave. So Tim and his father are talking in private, and... Nightwing shows up, and they, they have a little chat. Bruce explains things to him. And when Tim and his father come back, Jack announces that he won't be telling anyone about Bruce and his bad hijinks. But in exchange, Tim has agreed to quit as Robin. Ooh, end scene. Yes, end scene. This is and a big it, one. It, this is a big one, and it really does happen for in the very next issue, which we aren't going to cover, though we you see Stephanie Brown in the Robin costume, and yeah. lo and behold, she's smiling, and this is, this is, so this is for real, gang, for at least yeah. for a while. Uh, yeah, well done with the recap, Jerry. Um, uh, amazing story. So, um, some of the thoughts I had on this. First, let me say, I've got a complete run of the series, and... But back in the day, comics used to print fan letters, and I was fortunate enough to have some of my letters printed in the comics column in the mid-90s during the writer Chuck Dixon run. Oh, yeah. You know, and I even played uh, Tim, the Tim Drake Robin in a couple of online RPGs back in the day. Oh. So I'm saying that because I'm a huge fan of this character, and I thought this story had elements that really rang true to the Tim Drake character and some that just didn't. Yeah, um, yeah I was wondering this, about that, How what you would this think is about a, that. Right. This isn't the Tim Drake that impressed me from the get-go in the first years since his initial appearances and in Inception. Uh, I thought we really did have a good, great, poignant moment in this uh, story arc, though. Uh, now, I think it was in issue 124, We there was a great scene in the Batcave where Tim is just really down on himself, and he's sulking, and he's got, you could just feel this incredible self-doubt. And Alfred, he has an exchange with Alfred, and at the end of the exchange, Alfred says to him, in part, you know, Tim, you no longer seem to have you no longer seem to be the same young man who you were who dazzled us so back then. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, that was really striking. Now I know, you know, hey, have you ever had a bad string of days? You know, you spill a drink, you accidentally bump into something and knock it over and just things don't seem to be going away. But this is like to the nth degree. Uh while I liked this, the aftermath of the scenes, it just take me some, took me some time to buy this, though. Um, the Tim Drake that I know, I think, as we mentioned earlier, I think he would have had a stronger alibi 
way than uh, saying he joined the football team. This is something that uh, could have easily been fact-checked by a parent. Uh, when Tim decapitated uh, Warlock, he really didn't question that he could have been some type of supernatural being. He took this at face value that he mm-hmm. did, in fact, kill somebody. And I thought this that may not have rung true to the character. Um, the other side of the coin, as I said, so we, we had a really more vocal Batman than I think we're used to seeing. This wasn't the gravelly, uh, stern statistician that was limited with monosyllabic uh, commands. What and and he gave Tim a little more comments. Uh, I think um, one thing we're going to mention that uh, even Alfred uh, had a decent role in the story. The exchange with Stephanie was very good. Um, what were some of the things that you liked about this story, Jerry? Well, I thought a similar things to you about Tim's character. So it seemed a little off. He seemed a little sulky, uh, more so than we're used to. Uh, however, they do say they they kind of point that out in the in the story itself. They say you're not yourself. You're not who how you usually are. So it gets a little bit of a pass because now you know you think that he's kind of. Uh, um, upset about killing somebody. However, you know, even from the beginning, he's kind of second-guessing himself. There's a lot in here about him, his training, you know, so he's kind of breaking down his mistakes. He's kind of a little vocal about what he's doing and the mistakes he's making, how he's allowed to get Johnny close to the gun, uh, you know, and, and all of the kind of tactical errors and there are a lot of really fun scenes. Uh, like you mentioned, Alfred. There's a great scene when, uh, you know, uh, Alfred is using his acting skills. So they're training Tim how to interrogate somebody. And it's a really fun scene with, uh, I think it's a, a, a nine panel that, it, you know, they, uh, it's just Alfred's face as he's kind of making believe he's a gangster and making right. Tim it- get the information out of him. I'm glad you did a callback to that too, Jerry, because I thought that was one of the better parts. And uh, kudos to Willingham for bringing up yeah. some of uh, Alfred, Alfred's uh, classic Shakespearean thespian training here. Yeah. And it was done in such a clever way that um, it sort of came out of the blue. And you see Alfred just talking in this character, and you don't you don't initially get the context yeah. until we until the reader sees on the next page. Oh, he's in the back cave, and he was acting out a scene. I thought it was really really clever and well done. Really well done. Uh, and, you know, also them showing him Tim training, you know, physically and and um, and Batman, I think we see him vocal, as you say, but he's training Tim. And and I think that's an important part of this story where ultimately Tim, you know, leaves as Robin. They're showing what it means to be a Robin, all the work he has to do to become Robin. So it, I think, helps with the impact of that. So I think, you know, like you said, It isn't really his character, but there's a lot going on. There's a lot for the writers to juggle here. And I think it was done pretty well, pretty well. Mm -hmm. Now, one thing I was, go go ahead. Well, I was just going to mention about uh, some of the uh, plot lines that kind of wandered off into the, into the weeds. Johnny Warlock's story. Yeah. Not so I was going to go the same way. Um, what did you think of him as respect to a villain and uh, appearance as such? Uh, he seemed a little... He seemed Johnny Warren without the, um, you know, the, the thing on his chest, without the supernatural. He seemed kind of like an idiot. And when he has all these powers... He still kind kind of comes across as like a little kid who's been given great powers and is 
not really psychologically, mentally prepared for them. Doesn't have the maturity to really. I, I absolutely agree. Guy. For me, this is this was like um, an appearance and look. This was like a Damian Hellstrom light. Uh, uh, you know, yeah. I, I just thought, I just thought uh, thought of the Marvel character with the bare chest and and the. Uh, uh, mystical evil powers. Uh, this he, I, I just never really got a sense of uh, of uh, fear from this guy. You yeah. know, like I maybe should have. Yeah, I, I think the point of this story is much more. We are we are putting pieces in place for war games, and that's what this is all about. Right. And do you how? And I was I'm glad you brought that up because um, one of my notes I had, I was going to ask you, I had to, well, during this, I was asking myself, now is this what Willingham was tasked with? Was he having to put Tim and Stephanie in place for the forthcoming War story arc? As such, uh, did this hinder on how you would uh, rate the story? I mean, it, would, did your enjoyment level go down uh, more so after the fact here than as opposed to during the initial read of it? Yeah. I think during my initial read, I was a little disappointed in the um, the fact that the Johnny Warlock story was just not satisfactorily ended or didn't even have a a real cutoff. It just seems like it's going to go on and on, and it does it doesn't right away, but it uh, a couple of weeks, months later, it will. But uh, I, I didn't I, I didn't think that it was really satisfactory from that standpoint. The, I, I did a little research as well on this, and this was all part of the plan. There was, it was controversial. I mean, of course, War Games is a controversial story, and uh, a lot of people really don't like it. A lot of people do. But the whole idea of what they were going to do was controversial within D.C. There were a lot of people that really didn't like what this plan was, uh, that, what they had in store. Yeah, and I think you know we're not trying to spoil uh, what, what uh, events of certain characters and, and what later happens to them. I, I think from what we're, we're doing here. Uh, that said, speaking of other characters, uh, let's go to uh, Tim's day at school. Uh, the Bernard Dowd character and then uh, Darla Kista. Did you have any thoughts about those two supporting characters? I thought Bernard was fun. I thought he was tough, and he and Tim were were able to kind of really bounce off each other. What did you think about him? Yeah, I, I liked uh, the snark that uh, Bernard brought to the table. I thought that the volume of the character was just right. You know, one thing that kind of took me out of the story momentarily, and I don't know who said it or in what context it was used, and I think it was early on, but the word Fink was used, and I thought, wow, that was that was almost like, you know, every 60s sitcom I saw, I mean, that was that was like the huge insult to call somebody, like on the Munsters or what, when I, I mean, I never really used that when I grew up, the word uh, Fink, but boy, a lot of people sure did, and once I saw that in print, I thought, wow, they... They still use that. So that momentarily took me out of the story. Yeah. As far as Darla Kista goes, I I had some problems initially with her. Mm-hmm. Um, this the, the setup did seem very, very contrived, but uh, it's one of those things in comic books, and you, you kind of have to give a pass. You know, of all the women he could have gone out with, it just so happens to be the crime boss's daughter. You know, it just yeah. – fair enough. But, <laughs> okay, I can I, – I'll, I'll grant you that. I'll, I'll, I'll meet you there, but – what makes her so unique besides her beauty? I think somebody with uh, as studied and as worldly and as um, you know dynamic and intelligent as Tim. Yeah. What makes her such 
such a companion for him to hang out with other than the, the superficial looks. I thought Tim would want somebody with more depth. And I, I don't know. I, I, I tried to look for that depth and, or that quality or that quirkiness that seemed where you seem to have chemistry and I just didn't get that vibe. And it wasn't maybe conveyed either in the writing or in the artwork. Um, when they had that initial eye contact, it was there, but there was nothing that sustained that. And I think, I think a character of Tim Drake would have, would have wanted something a little more elevated beyond, beyond the, uh, superficial look of it. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think she was, uh, under, underwritten for here. Uh, she's used, uh, more later, as you mentioned, but, uh, in further stories. But here, I think she was just, uh, a kind of a fill-in character. You know, they, mm-hmm. they wanted to have some drama, so they created her. Yeah. One thing we didn't discuss was the artwork itself. Yeah. Uh, Jerry, did you have any thoughts either way of the art? Liked it, didn't like it, or just thought it was, um, well, average? I, I thought that the you know it was a little cartoony, so we've seen a little bit of uh, kind of rough and gritty in the past uh, past few weeks, not last week so much, but uh, in prior weeks. And this is a little lighter. This is colorful. I, I really like the colors on this. I thought they were well done. I didn't particularly think Tim was drawn amazingly well, but um, you know I, I think the 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 art was fine. What do you think about it? Well, you know, initially when I looked at the first, there was the first chapter of the book, and then not too long after that, we have a scene in the Bad Cave with uh, Tim and Bruce in the cave, and they both have their uh, facial masks off. And to me, they just like they were Asian characters. I don't know if it was the coloring mistake or what what it was. Now, I know sometimes we look at this in uh, reproduction online. I went to get my initial issue, and they didn't look as tan but they, they you could certainly say wow they they did look a little bit dark there with some coloring um one thing i thought was unique was in in a lot throughout the story um something you don't see too much like cartoonists do maybe in the comic strips you might see it more where we had like these large outside dash marks outside the character's face which sort of evoked um ire or anger or a grim realization you know we had like these big long uh would almost you'd, you'd equate to like uh, like the, the uh, an equal symbol, you know, just kind of like these these signs of uh, just kind of just kind of floating by the character's head, where there was try to evoke a, a expression, it's which I thought fashion. was sort of unique. It's old fashioned. I thought it was unique. Um, other than that, it took me a while to jump into the art style, but uh, the eyes, the facial expressions were I thought were really well done throughout the story. But it took me a while to kind of get settled in and and uh, get the feel of it. Yeah. Okay. So, if overall, what? How would you rate this? this uh, Willingham. I think one of the, was was strengths were the characterizations of Alfred. We had a vocal Bruce. Mm-hmm. Um, we had some great scenes with Stephanie, who was very. I didn't think we we talked about her too much here, but I think uh, it should be mentioned that this was a great depiction of Stephanie, who who's very self aware of herself, and she's. Mm-hmm very self-aware of Tim. The exchanges with Stephanie that we had here were very, very well done and done tenderly with, with honesty. I mean, the cards are on the table. We She, she knows that there's another girl uh, that, that Tim's seeing at school, and there's, there's some mixed feelings here. This is first and foremost a Robin story, and I think if you are 
looking to know more about the Tim Drake character, if you're looking for a very important chapter of the character's uh, uh, continuity in history, this is very vital to get. Um, that said, I did have some quibbles and some more modern dislikes. Um, I thought the Johnny Warlock character sort of had sort of a pedestrian name and a pedestrian appearance. Um, I don't think some things were explained for as far as the Redbird goes. I know the Chuck Dixon run was really, really strong with me, and now we've got Bill Willingham, who I know is an excellent writer, and I do like some of his stuff. But this just didn't jive, and I just wonder if we're so he was solely with the task of putting these pieces in a place for war games. I'm going to try to take a step back and judge it as is face value. This is a great story for a beginner because we've got a new writer, mm-hmm. we've got a new creative team, we've got Tim's first day of school, and we've got uh, the shoe falling with um, Tim finding out that Tim is uh, Robin. Mm-hmm. So some great events here. Um, I'm going to have to go three out of five. I, I did like some things, but there were some things I just didn't like that I previously stated. Yeah, I'll, I I agree with with pretty much everything you said. I think uh, for me, I really like yeah, you know, I, I liked him quite a bit. I thought that while his character wasn't at, like we're used to typically, I do think a lot of that is because of. You know, the crisis he's going through. And I thought that was interesting. And I loved the scene with him and Stephanie where she's, you know, trying to get him to snap out of it. Uh, this is uh, a, a very good, I thought, uh, Tim Stephanie uh, arc. I liked Bruce. I liked the training of Tim. I liked how they went into that with Alfred. And they're, they're trying to make him become a real powerful Robin. And so I'm going to go a little higher. I'll go three and a half batarangs. I, I, when I judged this, when I ranked it, I had to kind of drop my uh, disappointment at the story, the actual crime story being such a, frankly, a dud. Uh, it doesn't end satisfactorily. So I'll give it three and a half because I do think that it is an important story in the Batman um kind of continuity and the Tim Drake continuity and important as to what's coming up and like you said very good for a beginner uh, beginning Batman reader to get their feet wet with Tim with Stephanie and with some of the uh, tropes that they typically use in this so three and a half I'd say that's that's good I, I and I, I can see where your uh, excellent comments and I can see uh, your the points you made and they I can really get the validity there. Jerry, before we go, do we have any shout-outs to give? Well, we sure do. So uh, at the time of this recording, we have released episode 153 of Bat Bat Books for Beginners, where we reviewed City of Light. And we got some pretty pretty fun comments. We got one from uh, Glenn Clark. Uh, who has, uh, we're sorry, Glenn, what we're doing to your um, bank account. <laughs> we don't mean it. Uh, we don't get a cut. <laughs> DC doesn't send Chris and I checks. <laughs> no, no, but I tell you this, I really respect this guy. He's been collecting for 48 yeah. years, and I'm um, primarily a Superman fan. I thought, you know, when I got the, uh, when I saw his initial paragraph, I said, oh, we lost we lost a listener. But no, he's, <laughs> he's, he's staying with us. And, yeah. you know, Glenn J. Clark, shout out to you, sir. Um Forty-eight years of comic collecting. You know, wow. you've seen the good and the bad, and uh, I hope you stay with us, and I hope you continue listening. Yeah, and we'd like to, if you have, uh, if you uh, 
break the break the bank account open and, and get some of these books. We'd love to hear your thoughts because somebody with that kind of background, uh, I'm sure, would have some pretty interesting comments uh, for these stories. So thanks, Glenn. Did we hear from Ian this month? Of course we heard from Ian this <laughs> month. <laughs> so, oh. yeah. So he has some pretty good comments about uh, the architecture in Gotham and gave us some pretty good tips about some books uh, talking about the architecture being City of Light was an architecturally based book, and that was pretty interesting. Yeah, one thing, when, when, when you can get a comment from you and you know he's going to shed some light on you and oh, pull yeah. something back, you may not have, get, bring up a point you may not have considered before. And that's like his reviews, too, over on the TBU website. And speaking of reviews on the TBU website, uh-huh. listeners, I want you to check out Jerry's print reviews of oh, Gotham dear. Academy, Batman 66, <laughs> and Mother Panic. Uh-huh. on the TBU website. And while you're there, uh-huh. go support us on Patreon. Uh, there's a link to the homepage if you like what they're doing there and if you like what we're doing here. Please feel free to do that and leave us a good review on iTunes. And speaking of reviews oh, on yes. iTunes, did, did we get a review on iTunes, Jerry? I think we did. We we got a, a very nice review. Why don't you tell them about it? Yeah, we got a five-star review from Darren Sutherland, and I, I could look for any uh, prior iTunes reviews for this uh, podcast, and I know we've gone through different uh, iterations of hosts, and we're already on episode 150, but lo and behold, there was an iTunes review, five-star, from Darren Sutherland. Darren, of course, does the uh, Warlord Worlds podcast, the Trekker Talk podcast, and the Xenozoic Xenophiles podcast, all examine the respective uh, artwork from creators. That would be Mike Grell, Mark Schultz, and Ron Randall. Check out those podcasts. Mm-hmm. Darren and Ruth do an excellent job. There are a lot of... I saw Trekker Talk. I, re- I heard that one. That was so much fun. It is, and I just picked up the uh, recent trade paperback of Trekker 2. So, uh, yeah, yeah, based on Darren's recommendation. So I'm halfway through it, and I'm really enjoying it. Right. So are you still doing the, the uh, Batman 66 reviews over on Stella's podcast? Well, thank you very much, Jelly. As a matter of fact, I am. Yes, if you want to hear my uh, audio version of a Batman 636 review, I'll steer you and to the direction of Stella's excellent Batgirl to Oracle podcast, which comes out uh, on a monthly basis, if not more, when she decides to throw in a special out there. So if you really want to hear an excellent podcaster who really does a great job, and you can tell she's having fun what she's doing, I steer you to the Batgirl to Oracle podcast. That's terrific. All right. Well, thanks, Chris. So, well, that's all for today, and I hope everyone enjoyed this episode of the podcast. Please leave us comments. Please, you know, feel free to give your opinions on these stories. We love to hear from you so we know what what you liked and how Chris and I can do a better job. So join us next time where we will be covering Batman Hush Returns. Ooh, I can't wait. I know. We hope that you'll join us then. So I'm Jerry. And I'm Chris. And we're saying goodbye for now, and thank you for tuning in to Bat Books for Beginners.